the Sports Crib Podcast, episode 353, How to Break Biases in the Sports Industry. Achiever, and thank you for tuning in to season nine of the Sports Crib podcast. It's such a privilege to have you here, and I'm so grateful for all the support over the years. I can't even believe I'm saying season nine after the eight years where this was literally just a idea outside Byfloat and Newhall Station. So, if this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome. And if you're a loyal listener, thank you so much for your support over the eight years with regards to this podcast. But as always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who is an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest with regards to diversity and inclusion within the sports industry. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Dr. Donna Dahan who is an academic and the founder of The Diversity Doctor, where she has over 15 years of experience in research, education and consulting with regards to diversity and inclusion within business and the sports industry. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Donna as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Donna will share her sports career journey and explain to you why biases is so important with regards to pursuing a career in the sports industry and how we can break them with regards to equal access in the sports industry too. So have a listen and enjoy. Donna, it's such a joy to have you on the Sports Career Podcast. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Oh, Ed, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on here with you. When did my sports career journey start? Honestly, I don't know. I will give you sort of... I remember my first sport memory. I was around the age of three or five and my dad took me to my first football game and it was a local derby. It was Nottingham Forest against Derby. That's my first sport memory. And I just, I can recall it, smell it, hear it, feel it. And it was just this complete new, it was still standing in those days. So I was small. I so I, I remember a lot of people stood in front of me and just catching glimpses of football in between and just being mesmerized by the atmosphere. And I fell in love with sport then. And God bless my dad, because, it you know, he, he took his daughter. Like there, it, there was no gender barriers for him. He was like, I'm going to the football, come with me. And sport was the love language that my dad and I had. It's what we connected over. It's what we talked about. It's it was our language and so that's where I fell in love with the experience and I love all sports I'm not particularly sporty myself Um, I remember at junior school asking my PE teacher if I could play football because I'd been watching it and I liked it this would have been in the 80s and girls weren't allowed to play football it was like well no you play netball I'm like yeah no I do play netball it's a bit boring and I would like to play football and I think there were some other girls that would like to play football so (laughs) I created a petition 
with signatures. And by the time I'd left junior school, there was a football team at my school, <laughs> but I never got to participate in it. But it was just this kind of, I didn't understand even then, but I like it. Why can't I do it? I didn't understand it. Um, and then I just fell in love with sport. I did my A-levels. I did subjects that I liked. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but the passion for sport continued. And I've never followed a kind of logical career path. I think my career is in learning. I believe every day is a school day and I'm absolutely passionate about learning and I'm very inquisitive and curious and I want to know. And that for me is what's driven me in my career, if you like. And sport just happens to be a passion that I've created a path in. So it's not a very, maybe not a very clear answer, but that's kind of how I fell into it. We'll talk about your academic journey, but I just want to go back to that little case study of when you did that petition, because you said every day is a school day of learning. You learned on the spot that I can't play this sport, football. I Because bearing in mind, in, when I was growing up playing PE, it was exactly the same. Everybody's listening in. Sort of uh, boys and girls, we both played hockey. But when it came down to rugby, they played netball. <clears throat> So basically, you're categorised into buckets of sports you can play. So going back to that petition, when was the moment when you're right, OK, I've learned this. How can I put this learning into action for new change? I think I've always been very inquisitive and curious and I talk a lot. So I was asking questions and I was like, but I, I want to do this. And there are other girls that want to do it. And I don't understand why we can't. So it was that first conversation with my PE teacher. Then the PE teacher was like, I, oh, you know, they have enough of me. Go and talk to the headmaster or whatever. And then I think there was a point where somebody had said, I don't think people, girls want to do this. So then I'm like, okay, well, let me provide the evidence that girls do want to do it. And I guess that's the, been the researcher in me right from I know, eight years old or whatever. Like, what's the question? What's the obstacle? How can I give you the information that we can then talk about it so getting the petition was simply about supply and demand but there are people that want to play this so now what's your question like I was answering each of the barriers if you like trying to break them down with you say there's not a need for it so here's my evidence that there is a need for it now why can't I do it and just constantly trying to chip away at it I think so from that example looking back how has that supported you right now just from a curiosity standpoint curiosity is one of my values I and I think that's why I say every day is a school day I have a career in learning because I just like to know I'm just interested not in everything but the things that do interest me I'm like how does it work what and I, and that's why I also like taking things from different places I love sport but I will look at other industries other sectors to figure out oh, how do they do it over there and I think we can get very insular and I'm I'm a bit like a magpie and I can get quite distracted, but I'm like, oh, there's a shiny thing over there. How are they doing it? How can I apply that to here? And I think that's that's how I ended up in research. I didn't know research was a career when I was at school. No one said, you know, when you fill in your career sort of, I don't know, questionnaires, what do you think you want to do? No one said that there was a there was a career option in research and, and and learning in that way so I kind of fell into it because I was interested in solving problems understanding perspectives and that's literally just taken me step by step into the career that I have now okay final thing with this little case because I really do love it because did you actually manage to play some football 
through that process of getting it. No, no, she's nodding. I know. Her I was shaking, her no. shaking her head sideways. No. Everybody, I've never played. Oh. I did. I, I mean, oh. I watched. Okay. I watched a lot of football. I had season tickets with my dad, and then when I was old enough to go to nightclubs and things, I would meet footballers. This was before wags became a thing. The footballers would be in the nightclubs, and I would be talking to them about the game. I would be debating like whether it was a penalty, and and, and I was kind of. I wasn't interested in them as, you know, the relationship side, but I would talk to the professionals and I would critique them. And I, again, I didn't see a barrier of I shouldn't be talking to them this way. And so I would have those kind of conversations. Yeah, but I've never played. Okay. We're going to carry on with the journey because the reason it would have been nice to, I know it didn't happen, but it would have been nice if you got the team and then they were playing. I would have loved to seen, like heard, like what learning lessons did that you got from playing the sport? Because for me, going back to my childhood, you know, education was a struggle in the classroom. Sport was my only avenue, should we say, of developing my life skills. Let's go into your, like, academic journey, because I'm curious there of your love of teaching. But just paint the picture to the listeners, because it's really interesting, but also really fascinating of your journey from an academic standpoint. So, again, I kind of fell into academia because I just love learning. I, and, and you, you mentioned school then, I, I was bullied at school. School was not my happy place. So my love of learning didn't come until, I think I was at university where I felt comfortable and I found my tribe of people and I felt, you know, all of those, those kind of things. So I'd always been interested, but school was awkward for me. I was bullied. I didn't fit in. Um, and when I got to university, I found my tribe. I settled into it and I just loved learning. I love why is my favorite question it's my favorite word and I literally it's what I do now like as a profession I ask why all the time and that led me into a career of I think I got into academia because I'm like well I want to keep learning I like this environment pretty done with like I've done all the studying I've got so many degrees how else can I stay in this world and again kind of fell into it but felt it was my place at the time. And I had like a 20 year career in academia and loved it, really did. So on the that 20 years, looking back, how has it supported you by asking more effective questions? I know you talked about the why question, but reflecting over that period, how has it improved your questioning skills when battling not just the barriers, but also create like solving problems? That's a really good question. I think one of the things so I did coaching in equestrian sport. I got my coaching qualifications in equestrian sport. One of the things I learned from that is you can plan, and this is linking to like teaching, I can come up with a plan of what I'm going to deliver in a session or how I'm going to coach a session of horse riding. And I was taught like you, you, you prepare, you know what you want to do, but then you have to be able to adapt in the moment. That was more evident teaching horse riding. So I could say, I'm going to do a show jumping lesson with five novices. And I've planned it all out. We were supposed to be in the indoor arena. We moved to the outdoor arena. It's very windy and the horses are full of energy and it's not they're not settled and the, the riders are nervous. I cannot now simply just go through the step-by-steps that I planned because it's no longer safe, right? So then I'm like, okay, I want to teach you some fundamentals of show jumping. We're not going to actually do this course because it's not safe. I'm going to put some poles on the floor and we're going to do something else. So I'm intentional about what I want to leave that session with, but I have to adapt to the audience that's there 
in front of me and what's happening. And that for me, I've translated into the classroom. So I can say, okay, I've got an hour with 60 students. We need to cover this topic, but it's a Monday morning and the energy is low and me just talking at them is not going anywhere. So I'll break it up and have a discussion session or I always have post-its I'll do something like off the off the cuff with what I want to do because I've got to work with the energy in front of me and now as a consultant it's the same thing I've got to meet people where they are I know what my intention is for the time that we have together but I have to meet my audience where they are and react to them as well so that I can get the outcome that, that I am intending to get let's decode this even more how in that little example of your adapting it's really about adapting your communication approach in how you communicate to that audience like how has that built that skill in itself not just having the sticky notes or the exercises to adapt in the session but actually the way you communicate your message to them yeah it's for me it's really about active listening and I think we are generally rubbish at that like I include myself I have to be very intentional I think we've created a culture of instant information and instant feedback. And most of us are listening to the other person with the intent to respond because we feel that's how we contribute. We've been taught that we have to throw something out there and have an opinion. And we don't take the time to think about what that opinion is. Like, is it adding value right now? Me throwing out a tweet, me throwing out something like into this vague hole for the sake of it and for me it's about taking time to actively listen with the intent to hear what the other person is saying and in a classroom situation that's not just verbal that's body language that's energy that's right so reacting not just going in with I am giving this information out it's about receiving the information and working on that so yeah, I would say activists. And we know from research that the higher up an organization we go, managers get less and less good at actively listening. How many people do you talk to who are like on their phone at the same time or looking over your shoulder? Or And it's just, we, we need to slow down and connect. And then we can probably hear what each other is saying and learn from each other. Do you also think it's being also more present with individuals as well? Like I'll give an example. They're saying now, Okay, I get a bit geeky with human behavior, but they say now in a sitting room, I sound quite old saying that, but in a sitting room where there's one television, they say averagely now when people watching TV, there are three devices in that room consistently. So that already means when you build in that habit, you're not actually watching the main TV. So now when I watch a film, I intentionally try and just watch the film. It's very difficult because I want to read my book in the background, but it's that skill of just actually watching something in the present. It's like me interviewing you. I've got no other distractions. I'm just listening to what you're saying, seeing your body language. I wish you could see Donna's body language. It's awesome. It's full of energy. But going back to a point of human behavior, do you think this is an influence too, while we're not very good at active listening as a skill of what I've sort of just said from that side of things? Absolutely. I mean, I was listening, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, we were, and they were talking about like noise we don't have, how often do we have silence in our life? Like if you go into a shop, there's music. The reason there's music in a shop is to distract you from really tuning into yourself so that you're more likely to purchase because you're being distracted. We're not very good at being present and intentional. Um, 
And absolutely, we, we just consume all the time. And I think we feel a bit lost. I've had to train myself in the last 18 months, actually, to do nothing. Like I would get quite panic stricken at the thought of slowing down and doing nothing. I'd get very fidgety and very kind of, what do you mean just sit there? And what I need to be doing. We, we, we've created this culture of doing, doing, doing. I do not believe success comes from working more or harder. I believe it comes from focus and intention. But we've created this kind of work culture where we have to be on the go all the time. We have to respond all the time. Social media, we, we feel like we've got to have an opinion and react. And again, it's just this speed all the time. And it's just distraction. If I'm on three devices at the same time, I'm not being present with any of them. What is the point? Our brains can't do this. We know our brains need like focus, but we've created this kind of world that is just pulling our attention all the time in so many different ways. 100%. I hope people are taking notes because the reason I say this is I want to go back to academic world of research because I can't remember nearly saying this, but it's 10 years till I graduated from Durham. And without a doubt, Donna, doing research studies, I didn't mind it. I actually enjoyed it, but I knew a lot of my peers did not find research studies as exciting as like sports sociology or sports policy or sports psychology. But for any students listening, how important is understanding research methods? Because for me, I apply it to this day in certain projects. So I would just love you to have your uh, educational hat for students here of like the benefits of research methods at uni and how has it supported you out of interest? Oh my goodness, how do I how do I do this in a soundbite? I mean, I'm biased because I love research and it comes down to the curiosity for me. I want to know why. And so, um, like COVID, start with the end in mind, right? So what is it that I want to achieve? I want an answer to this question. I want to solve this problem. I want to understand behavior or how to increase performance or whatever it is. What's my goal? What am I trying to achieve? Start with the end in mind. How am I going to, what's the problem that I'm trying to solve? And how do I get there? So how do I figure out how to increase performance? Well, I have to find out what level of performance we're talking about now. I have to measure things. I have to quantify things. I have to understand present state to know where I want to get to better performance or, you know, achieving something else. And for me, research is about gathering the information being critical and objective of information, which I think our skills, were, again, we've lost because we'll literally take the top three answers on Google, for example, without actually considering, is that true? How do I, you know, cross-reference data points? Um, and our biases play into that as well. So I can find the information that I want because it supports my argument as opposed to being taking a step back and being objective and critical and wanting to know what the answer is as opposed to, again, supporting my opinion, right? So how can I, I figure that out? So for me, research is about answering questions, solving problems, increasing performance in sport. And then the research methods part is finding the right path to do that and choosing the right resources, choosing the right data. So if I want to... I'm a qualitative researcher, so I'm interested in lived experience, um, perceptions. So, sorry, sorry, just for the listeners listening, qualitative is like uh, focus groups, interviews, sort of style and methods. 
sorry, I'm going to interrupt because that's what I did at Durham and I just want to break down like qualitative and quantitative. So qualitative is more rich data, like we're doing now in a way, through an in-depth interview as an example. Sorry, carry on. I know. And as an example, this is when I first discovered your podcast. I used your podcast as data for my research students to analyse because our conversation, what we're talking about now is data. And then I would get my students to listen to your podcast and break down the themes. What's the theme that's coming out of this podcast? What are we learning from it? How could we apply that? So for me, everything is data. Everything is research. Our conversation, as you said, now it is. So just on the other side, which is quantitative, that's using surveys, using a mass audience. I'm just breaking it down, giving you some tips here, everybody, because this is my studies. But I want to just hear your thoughts of qualitative and quantitative and from both of them, what is the gold standard in your interpretation of, as you say, valid research, then just relying on uh, Dr. Google, if that makes sense. I always like to think of quantitative as numbers and measuring something and quantifying it. Qualitative for me is words, experience, lived experience. They both have different quality assurance in terms of re uh, validity, reliability, those kind of things. Um, and I might use mixed methods. I might use both. But it's about trying to understand what am I trying to find out here? If I'm trying to find out how whether you like one particular sports brand or another, I can have a conversation with you. That's qualitative. But I could also look at purchasing numbers. Like take the... Um, the fact that the women's goalkeeper shirt was sold out however many times, right? Yeah, Mary Earps, yeah. Yeah, and there's and, quantitative yeah. and qualitative data there. Like supply and demand is your numbers. They produced X number and sold out and then produced again. And you know, we could look at how quickly they sold out, the demographic, who did they sell to? Um, and then the qualitative side that I'm interested in is figuring out why didn't they produce more? Why aren't they picking up on the, the, the feel of how successful women's football is and how much we want to buy into it, right? So there's the two sides to that, for example. So we're going to do another case study, which uh, I know Donna's going to connect with because this is how we got connected, everybody. I'm going to paint the picture, which I love to share how I got really connected with my special guest. Back in 2019, we got connected with the Athens Women's Football Summit. Uh, Mara shared the idea back in 2018. I said, let's do an online webinar. And then Mara said, I've got something called Donna at Hague University at the time. And I was like, let's do a webinar of like women's football. And we broke it down. I sort of moderated it. And Donna just went full out with regards to the importance of equality in women's football. And this is early days, everybody. This is like nobody in the UK would talk about women's football. I'm really sorry, but I can hand on heart. It was hard to like even myself to find information. And then moving on to where things have grown now from 2023, with regards to where women's football is going back to that webinar I know it seems a long time ago but you know that when we planned it you, we sort of said why isn't there enough equality in women's football women even in football would you say from that session now I can't remember it like to the head but I remember just the the in-depthness because we did break it down would you say the narrative has changed I know there's that like, there's so much more room in improvement the game's been banned for 50 years but related to our session and talk about research methods, do you think there has been a change a little bit in that awareness of equality in women's football? I'm just curious from our experience working together on that little project. Yeah, definitely. I think 
I mean, again, quantifiably, we can see viewers' numbers of the World Cups, European Championships, right? So we can measure how popular women's football is in terms of TV coverage and spectatorship. Like, that's increasing. So absolutely. And it's, again, from a business perspective, it's supply and demand. I don't, how can I consume if I don't know it's out there? Um, so you need to raise the profile of something in order to create the want in me to purchase, to, to go and watch, to, to experience. So women's football is definitely more popular. It's more in the social context of, of, of sport. Um, so that's really changed. I think conversations are changing. Issues are still there. The same issues that are there are still there, but we're having conversations about it. And I think that's, really important and the- can we break that down hmm. well that's really important the conversation sorry to interrupt why are they important these these important conversations so i'm putting you on the spot i think it is important to address it in my humble opinion i think there are some there's been situations or issues that have happened on the very on a very public platform uh, with the last world cup for example in the spanish team Right. And so it's no longer when I started researching this sport, I was having I was doing interviews with female athletes and coaches. And I would hear these stories and know what was happening because I had direct contact with the people involved. Now, these conversations are playing out very publicly. So it's it shines a light on what's happening. So I always like to take, in in terms of diversity and inclusion, I like to go from awareness to action to to accountability. So the awareness piece is increasing. We are aware of situations that are happening in women's football, right? Because the conversations are playing out or we we actually saw what, what was happening. So the awareness is there. Action, we're talking about it but there is still a lack of accountability. What, who says this is enough? This is not happening anymore. The fact that a coach is, you know, sacked from a national team because of behavior or alleged behavior, but then hired by another national team, where is the accountability piece? So the awareness is there, action, we're talking about it, but when do we get to the point where we say, we need policies, this is not happening, this is not okay. And it's the same with like the violence in men's football. You know, I'm talking about different ways of dealing with aggression towards uh, referees, for example. Again, awareness. What is the action we're taking? And the accountability piece of enough is enough. This is no longer going to be happening. And we're not there. No one's stepping into that at the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this leads so well to our main podcast topic because it does relate to this massively. And I'm grateful for the the three A's, I'm going to call it, the awareness, the action, the accountability. But relating to today's podcast topic, like how can we break these biases in the sports industry? Now, it's a big open question, but relating to what you do and your fantastic newsletter, which we'll talk on a bit later, but relating to the question, how can we really break these biases down relating to your uh, point of view? Okay, let's fix this, shall we? (laughs) Yeah, let's have some fun. Let's do it. All right, so awareness, bias, our brain. So bias refers to a disproportionate inclination or prejudice towards something. I really like this. I don't like that. Our brain functions on a very binary perspective. Our brain likes to group, 
into two boxes, men, women, I like, I don't like, good, bad. That's how we sort of filter automatically because our brain is receiving, I think it's something like 11 million bits of information per second. That's how much we're consuming, but we can only process about 16 to 40. So we're bombarded with bits of information and we can't consciously process all of that. Like we're not supercomputers, we can't deal with it. So our brain creates shortcuts and the shortcuts go too much information, I'm putting in this in this box, I'm putting this in this box, right? And so biases come from men do this, women do that. Sport is for these people, it's not for these people. And we just continue to add evidence that supports those boxes. And so the awareness piece is to try and break that down. And the why question, why can't I play football? Why can't I be in that box, right? And then providing the evidence that changes that. So I think the awareness piece is so important. Right, we're gonna dig deep, even bigger here, because we have got a case study. And like, for me, I'm grateful to bring in this one up because very recently, Joe Barton had an interview with Piers Morgan about his point of view, should we say, of um, women commentators and pundits not basically doing men's football. And the reason why I was frustrated, there were some of the tweets I, I thought were inappropriate. You know, I, I'm all about people having their opinion, and I'd like to break this down of opinion versus a biases, because don't get me wrong there, there's some pundits on other sports that I think could be better in what they do and improve their commentary or their skill, their art. It's not about making mistakes. I make mistakes. Even on this podcast, there's a thing called editing everybody. I can manage to get them out. That's the secret. But my point is what I didn't like was when, I'm going to say Alex Scott, because that was one of the persons he mentioned that shouldn't be doing men's football. But from my side, following her journey with Football Focus, but actually on Instagram, and I'll bring you in in a second, but I'm giving you some real life, like she's done a sports media degree, one. So if we're going to have to tick the box of the academic side she's done, she's been a player herself at the highest elite level at her time in professional football. It's nowhere near of what it is to the day, but that's women's football, everybody. it's It's been a, I'll call it an entrepreneurial sport. It's a sport that's grown over time, not just the game on the pitch, but certainly off the pitch of governance. So she's from her side of being a broadcaster, she's done the media degree, but then she's done the reps. Now you're going to love this. During COVID, she was doing interviews with players on her Instagram lives. I mean, with like Carly Lloyd, you know, and, and it was just amazing that she was, you can tell she was doing the reps. I think she did about like 10 shows and it was really authentic. And I've done my reps on this show. So somebody called me out of being a podcast. I'll go, well, here's my social proof. For me at the time, Alex Scott did a social proof. So that's one component of Joe Barton I just didn't connect with uh, because this person has actually done what's required for the role, but also has the experience of being a player. And then the final point, which I want to bring in, is, is Emma Hayes' response to Joe Barton and Emma Hayes didn't mention Joey's name during the press conference, but she was talking about football privilege. And I'm going to say even more, male privilege. And it goes right full circle to your experience, Donna, with regards to trying to get a girls team at your school. At the time, it was a boys privilege. And we take it for granted. And we didn't know about it at the time. But, you know, as boys, even myself, but that's why we question. And that's why we have the question of why. But going back to Emma Hayes, she really justified that 
we are privileged as men in the football industry, but she said it in a professional way. And can I say on this, on like side note, Emma Hayes is a commentator, absolutely fantastic. If you listen to her, anybody in any games, unbelievable. So I'm all about this, my final point, I'm all about people should get roles for their knowledge, experience, but also their personality that brings it to the table, which makes you unique. So that's it on my side with the Joey Barton case study, but I'd love to hear your side from an expertise standpoint of diversity inclusion, but also this bias standpoint as well. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, there's Joey Barton and we can substitute him for a, a number of other individuals. Um, I am absolutely respectful of people's opinions. All of our opinions are influenced by bias. So bias isn't something we can get rid of, but we can become aware of it. Um, I feel a lot of diversity and inclusion, the, the barriers towards diversity and inclusion come from fear and a scarcity mindset. So somebody is used to having space. The space of football belongs to me, right? So someone like Barton, for example, he has grown up feeling safe, owning football. It's where he belongs. And there is a fear for me in the way that he responds there is a fear in terms of somebody's taking that away from me. And again, when you look at his language and what he how he talks about it, he is very binary. These people can't do it. And it's very sweeping statements as well. So our biases like to go sweeping statements. We don't dive into, because once we start to dive into details, the biases start to fall apart. So he will say things like, women shouldn't uh, commentate on men's football because they've not played it. Sweeping statement. But as soon as you tip it the other way and go, okay, but men haven't played women's football, so why do we have men commentating on women's football? Once you start challenging these kind of sweeping statements, it starts to fall apart. And I know that he said, people have pushed back to him and said, but there's men who haven't played elite football who are commentators. So you start to dismantle these arguments and then he goes to another one. And it, and it just comes from a very divisive this or that. It's this binary construct. And there is a lack of detail in terms of what we mean. So he will say things like, and other people like him will say things like, women aren't qualified. And again, as the researcher, I'm like, okay, so what are the qualifications? Why, can you show me the list of qualifications to be a pundit of football? What does that look like? Because then it's not all the same, right? You don't have to have played. We know there are examples of people that haven't played at the elite level. So breaking down these arguments, but they people that throw these sweeping statements get very defensive when they can't answer the nuances because of lack, lack of knowledge or because it scares them. But it does come from a fact of, if there are more women entering your space, there's going to be less space for you. If we have 10 seats around a table and they're all taken up by one person and we want to have diversity at the table, somebody has to stand up and leave to enable somebody else to come because we can't just, in terms of decision-making, for example, in boards and things like that, we can't just keep adding seats. Say we have 10 seats, we have to make room. And there is a fear of losing out. So it's very personal rather than the bigger picture. I don't want to be sat around nine other people that look like me talk like me sound like me because I might as well just sit in a room by myself right 
I want to hear from you. I'm interested in your perspective. Again, starting with the end in mind, because I want to solve this problem. I want to make good decisions. And my ego knows that I don't have all the answers myself. So I will consult with other people with different perspectives. So just relating to this case study, you mentioned it already because I've had it on my podcast with regards to boardrooms. I'm going to go back to Athens. I share it all the time with people because it made me got involved in women's football when second day of 2019 at the Athens Women's Football Summit, Ebrew Coxall was on the stand and a male um, reporter said a question. Now, he may have said it the wrong way. He did, definitely did. But he knew Ebrew really well. But at the time, it just erupted the room when he said, how can women add value to a boardroom? And I kid you not, Don, if you were there, the people stood up. Somebody grabbed the mic off the reporter. She said her bit. And Ebru didn't say anything. Her body language, if you've seen her speak, she is still, she just waited for the whole room to calm down. From my side, I was next to somebody called Jim Gooley, who's been in the game for nearly 40 years now. Um, he, he's actually a very proud man. His team, Gotham City, which were Sky Blue, won their first ever title for over 20 odd years. So, you know, and he he's seen the growth of the women's game in America. And I always remember this because I tapped him on the, you know, on the side and went, Jim, you do realize Elon Musk has literally just launched a rocket to Mars and we're having conversations like this. And he chuckled. And I I just went, that was my moment to take accountability of this podcast, by the way, to change the show, not just learn the career paths, learn these hard conversations that will influence people's career journey. So reason I mentioned like sort of using another example with Ebrew, because I was there live and her response was brilliant because she sort of said, actually, we need more space, more seats on the table, not sticking to the 10. And I thought that was a really good response because I think it's the seats that everybody get fearful of losing it, then adding. Now, I'm not saying you have 20 seats. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just trying. She was sort of trying to say that let's just add more with different perspective. So I love to hear your thoughts. I see your body language of what I've shared with that story. But to me, that was a it is a significant moment to my sports career development till this day. So Mike Seals, my friend, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think the, the, the seat thing, I'm a very, I'm a visual learner as well. So I, 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 I like to see scenarios. So seats around the table is, is, is very concrete for me. And I agree with what you were saying. And I, I am such a fan of hers as well, but uh, not, but, and I don't want to see five seats taken up with five people that look like me. There's no point. So when I say I don't want to add seats, I'm just saying I want to add diversity and I want to add perspective. We know that 30% is a tipping point where it's an, it's enough of a percentage of a, a group of people not to feel like tokens because we can feel this. I've, I've been in boards, sport boards, I've done a lot of research at that level and there's one female identifying person on, on the board. And then if there's a question about women's football, it's addressed to them. And I'm like, okay, so if, if I'm here to answer questions about women's football, then I only need one guy at the table to answer questions about men's football. And then it's just the two of us. Why have we got all these other people here? I do not represent my gender. I have an experience in this body that I can contribute to the discussion based on the intersectionality of everything that I am and my experience and whatever I can contribute to this conversation. And it's looking for different perspectives, but not then allocating that, you know, my identity 
influences how I see the world. It's not my only thing. So I'm not here just to talk about being a woman. I know what that's like to experience it, but that doesn't mean that that's all I get to contribute on, if that makes sense. 100%. It's basically not being a quota in that side of things. It's actually you're contributing to who you are, as I said to you, with regards to your knowledge, experience and personality. And it leads to, I want to go back to one of your amazing articles on LinkedIn because it's so relevant the invisible barriers can we break that down of what you mean because i think this is it these 10 seats create the invisible barriers but could you just explain what that means i know what it means because i've read your article but i think for the listener we're breaking down the biases but there are these invisible barriers which going back to my development everybody i was unaware of even with my actions i may have been unaware of so uh man this is a cool conversation but donna explain to this as these invisible barriers and what do you mean on that side of things okay so i obviously work in a space of diversity and inclusion i think one of the key things is for me this is just my perspective inclusion doesn't mean including everybody i still want to be intentional about who i'm including so bringing it back to football punditry for example um there's no point somebody asking me to comment on a football game because I tick a box, because I don't have the skills, right? So I'm not the person that should be included into that space. So we need to have clear boundaries. So I I differentiate between boundaries and barriers. Boundaries are my intentional filter. In order to comment on football, I would set the boundary that you need to be knowledgeable and you need to um, be able to communicate live on TV or, or, you know, have the personality, be articulate, speak a certain language, depending on where the, the broadcast is being shown, certain things that are non-negotiable. The barriers are the things that are in place that are stopping my ideal person coming into that space. So they're another type of filter, but I want to remove those so that I can open up to the right people. Does that make sense? It does, because we're decoding something that's quite complicated through our behaviour, which could influence through our upbringing, our culture. That's where these bigger layers come into place of how we come across as human beings. But when we're in these professional environments, that's why there's all these sticking points of frustration, like the Joey Barton thing, because it's not just about his points of view, it's how it's influenced people's behavior to approach their job like without a doubt there were a lot of women who were nervous for showing up doing their job that weekend of football because whatever they say do with their actions they're going to be judged instead of them as their knowledge their expertise and their personality and I think that's the thing I'm trying to use this show as a tool not my voice everybody not Donna's voice the podcast itself to be a tool to try try and change the narrative but through an educational real lens and it leads to my next point and this relates I think it's really important because it's a solution um because we've sort of going I'm going through with your three A's we've done the awareness talked about like I'll say the barriers aspect but with an action of solution is having that psychological safe space you mentioned it when you're at university. That's when learning really was in part of your identity. You, it was your tribe, you said, your group of people compared to your time at school. How is that the same with regards to diversity inclusion of that psychological space? I would love to hear more on that side of things. 
So just briefly, psychological safety, we think of it in sort of four stages. And the first stage is inclusion safety. So if I don't feel safe and included, I'm not going to progress in the psychological safety spectrum. I think there, there is a difference between fitting in and belonging. So fitting in is when I am adapting, assimilating, trying to be, trying to commentate like a man would because this is a man's world. That's me assimilating. This is me fitting into a man's world as opposed to feeling like I belong being a woman in this space for who I am. So inclusion safety, we want to belong. We want to feel safe in that space, not using up energy, second guessing what I can say, like you said about the women going into work, you know, that weekend. They did, they probably didn't feel safe and included because they're second guessing judgment and, and, and comments and what am I wearing and how, what's my hair look like and things that have got nothing to do with me doing my job, but this noise that comes into this space. So inclusion safety, the first level. We then want to get into learner safety. So if I feel, okay, I feel safe enough with, in, with this conversation with you, I can start to relax and be open-minded and learn in this space then I can go and contribute so then I can feel like okay well now I've got I know something I can add something to this conversation I can communicate I can contribute the final level is challenger safety where we're challenging the status quo when we're asking the not only the why but pushing a little bit more challenging at that level and I can only do that if I don't feel like I'm going to be ridiculed or shamed or persecuted or called out for other elements of myself so that's what Barton is doing he's saying okay these women in football have no right to be here they can't be included and he's picking on other elements of them as opposed to what they are contributing to this space right so it's about um innovation um growth all of those things come from the challenge of safety it comes from feeling like again you and I don't need that there's no point if, if we just agree on everything and we think the same way and we always agree on everything we both don't need to be in the room to make these decisions because we're the same so unless I can say oh you know Edda that's really interesting could you explain it a little bit more I don't I don't see it that way could you explain it a little bit more. Or I think that that works in that context, but maybe not this context. And personally, I think sport is way too insular and navel gazing. Nobody in football thinks that they could possibly do anything. Not nobody, that's a sweeping statement, that's a bias. Many of the people in the leadership positions in football do not think that they could possibly do anything different or better. There's way too much ego. So they don't want to be challenged. Right. Because it's, this is the way we do things around here. Why would I consider how other sports are doing things? Why would I consider different perspectives? My ego is like, I, I'm doing a great job. Football is brilliant. Football is popular and successful. And, you know, and it's that limited mindset that like, OK, but where does growth and opportunity come from? If that's how you see the world. Do you think ego is half the battle in all this? I think it's a lot. I think it's ego and fear. I think those two things together are just limiting, restrictive things that stop, you know. And I, I wanted to bring it back to, I think you said, 
you didn't know about these things right and so you're you've changed your behavior you're you're learning and I absolutely want a safe space in the work that I do in conversations I have for people to say the wrong thing I'm putting that in speech marks in terms of otherwise we're too fearful to have these conversations so I absolutely am open for you to say things that aren't politically correct or aren't woke or whatever so that we can go okay that's your opinion I'm hearing that where does that come from how is that contributing to our organization how is that helping us create performance culture how is that you know and I don't want to just shut it down as again binary I'm right you're wrong na 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 poo poo that's not getting anywhere (laughs) so there's the case there everybody for me I had to incorporate I thought it was important but also even me it's that self-awareness piece myself during this whole conversation so you know for me I'm grateful that we brought this up but I do want to talk about what you're doing with it as a consultant Donna and also your awesome newsletter just paint the picture of what the newsletter is about I read it it's fantastic and yeah just share it to these listeners what it's all about and what you do please I'm now a diversity and inclusion consultant. So I still do research and education and training and consultancy. Um, And my newsletter is really, I suppose my my niche spot within this big topic is intentional inclusion. So I see the world through a DNI lens because this is my space. And I want that light bulb moment for people, like the journey that you've talked about, Ed, where you say, okay, I see things differently now. I hear things differently now. For me, that's the lens, the perspective. So intentional inclusion is about whenever I walk into a room, I'm looking for who's there, who's not there. And then why question. If I sit down to watch something on Netflix, I'm thinking about what, you know, who, what are the characters in this program? Who's missing? Oh, that's interesting. That's a different perspective that maybe I've not seen before. It's how I see the world all the time. And so the newsletter is really, it comes out on a Monday morning Um, And it's really just about, okay, how can I set you up this week to think about things a little bit more, just so that that lens, that light bulb, that switch is on as you go through the week, so that you're just looking at the world in a different way. And with this podcast, we're talking about biases. The best way to interrupt biases is to slow down and interrupt them and think differently. So the newsletter is also a way of, of sowing a seed of a topic for that week, so that maybe when you go into a meeting or you're having a conversation, there's a different perspective, a different voice that just makes you slow down a moment, think about things a little bit different, have a conversation with a colleague so that we can start talking about this in a way that's not divisive, in a way that's safe and is an opportunity to learn from one another rather than this divisive arguing or fear all the time. 100%. Just from a business standpoint, you're a consultant as well. Have you got like a, we've got a few more questions, but just for people hearing, you've got contact details from a consultancy standpoint on your website, as an example. I just want people, I want, if businesses is like, I want to hear more of Donna, like where, where is the best, like what services do you provide as well? Just briefly, because I think it's really important what you're doing. Yeah, so my company is called The Diversity Doctor. I mean, I have a PhD, but the doctor thing comes from a, I want to diagnose the problem, not treat the symptoms, not only treat the symptoms. So I think a lot of work in DNI is quite surface level, um, performative. And I always think of the example of, I don't want to put a Band-Aid 
on something, I want to figure out what's making the bleeding happen in the first place, and then we can treat it. So not just putting a bandaid over the problem, but figuring out what's the root cause and so that we can really work on dealing with the root cause so that we can have sustainable long-term change that benefits everybody. I want organizations where everybody thrives and the bottom line. So it's not just a nice to have fluffy, you know, emotional thing. It makes businesses better. And so yeah, everybody benefits. But yeah, I'll um, I'll share my website in the notes. Will do. Oh, reflecting now, Donna, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right at this moment, right now? Oh, the people I've met. Like like yourself. I mean, just meeting interesting people with something to say. Like this thirst for knowledge for me comes from connections. I've been fortunate enough to travel men around the world, meet really interesting people. Sport is just the container for that for me, I think. It's more about the connections and memories and conversations like this that's just inspiring for me. 100%, but it'll be even more inspiring when we meet in person that day, and we definitely will, <laughs> definitely, definitely we will. Uh, Don, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I always like to finish with an inspirational one. And for me, I'd like you to share three tips of the benefits of having a growth mindset with regards to DNI and the benefits of that growth mindset perspective. Uh, so the listeners can literally put into action straight after listening to this. What would those three tips be, please? Give yourself time. So a growth mindset for me, I, I, I would consider myself to have a growth mindset, but if I'm time pressured, I shut down and I default to my standard way of doing. So time is so important. Give yourself time and space to think differently, to consume differently listening to this podcast, for example, listening to different opinions, give yourself time and space. That's where a growth mindset. Always ask yourself, oh, I wonder why? Ask the question, why? It's the best word in the world, why? And then see what the answers are. Where does it take you? Be interested in following those breadcrumbs. So time and space and the why question. Um, and be prepared to leave your judgment to one side. So the active listening thing again, just consume it, just take it on board um, in a way that let it sit and, and resonate and, and reflect on rather than thinking this, this pressure to respond all the time. Mm -hmm. And then the third one. So I'm active listening. <laughs> a third one. Um, be curious. Be curious, just be interested. Be interested in different sports, be interested in different perspectives, be interested in why things are happening in, over there in different countries in different ways, be curious. 100%, I think the third one you've said actually is really, really important because it also makes you mindful that I give a fourth one that balances that curiosity, it's being mindful mm. of the different perspectives, the active listening as well. What a wonderful conversation, Donna. Out of interest, how can people interact with you, your newsletter, your website? Like, where are the best places to go? Yeah, so if you go, if you search uh, The Diversity Doctor, you'll find my website. You can sign up for the um, newsletter. It's free. You can sign up. You can leave at any point. Every month, I give a free resource. On the first Monday of the month, you get a free resource that you can use practically. Very much about actionable steps. 
Um, so I would love you to, to join up and then you can hit reply and contact me and have a conversation. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, let's get the connections. Uh, Ed, you're brilliant at networking and connections. So look back at Ed's old podcast about how to network and things and absolutely connect when we have these conversations in person. 100%. Donna, it's been a joy chatting with you today. All the links, everybody, will be on the website with regards to this awesome podcast chat. Donna, thank you again. It's been a joy chatting with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. What a great conversation to kickstart season nine on the Sports Career Podcast on such an important topic in the sports industry. And I have so much gratitude for Donna for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure of mine. I really enjoyed the experience. But with regards to the topic, which is vital, and it's vital for many reasons. One, that the sports industry needs to be more inclusive from a career standpoint, but most importantly, the access of Really, anything's possible to pursue a career in the sports industry. There shouldn't be the barriers. But to dig deep on biases, to dig deep on putting things in perspective of curiosity and being mindful and looking things from different perspectives, I firmly believe makes you a better sports industry professional. And for that is where I'm grateful for Donna because all the components which we discuss can actually help you to be a better sports industry professional. I really do hope you found this podcast helpful, but most importantly, apply it to your sports career development today with regards to being more mindful, being more curious, or as Donna said, look at the whys in how you can solve problems in the sports industry, but putting in perspective the diversity inclusion. And please check out Donna's newsletter. It's just fantastic. Like she said, it's just a way of reading something and seeing if you're connecting to it with regards to your actions and behaviors in the sports industry. And if you're not, don't worry, that's how we improve. That's what it's all about. So look, really apply the sports career development to your sports career journey now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Donna said, be interested. Be interested in different perspective. Be curious in how you see the world. <laughs>